let's move in. Let's move into the word then together. A quick recap on last week. For those of you that weren't here, we were talking, thanks George, we were talking about this idea of hitting a glass ceiling in life, of, of plateauing, of settling, and in that regard, quite often regressing. The example that I used was with my guitar. I hit a certain point with, uh, with my guitar where, where <clears throat> everything I was doing, I hit the point where it doesn't come naturally to me anymore, so I just settled in that place. I reached the end of myself, and, and, and so in that, I, I settled, I plateaued. And in some senses, you might just regress. Now, for you, maybe you're not a guitarist. Maybe it's a different passion or a hobby that you have, a different instrument. Maybe it's a different gift if you're crafty in the nicest possible way. If you're artistic, whatever it is. You hit a certain point where you've reached the end of yourself and you can plateau and settle there. We use the emphasis from Acts 1, chapter 1, verse 9. What happened was that the disciples were looking up to heaven as Jesus was taken out of their sight up to heaven. And they just stood watching. And it was this picture that was painted in my mind was that they thought, almost thought, he promised he's coming back. We're going to stand here and wait for him to come back. This is a kind of sweet spot place. I'm comfortable here. I'm going to plateau and settle here and wait for him to come back because he said he would. Then they get the nudge, the loving nudge of an angel, two angels, the implication of the word two angels, and, and they get the nudge to say, guys, why are you standing staring up to heaven? Go and do what he told you to do. And it was that dynamic of crossing over the line, the line between where we're comfortable and where we have to step beyond ourselves and into that place of challenge. And so they had to take their eyes off the sky, turn around and go back into the fire that was Jerusalem. Go back into that place of, of trial and challenge. And... and uh, yeah, and see what comes. So this morning's word is going to be again our nudge. If you'll permit me, because that was part of our national gathering, our national vision gathering Wednesday, Thursday, was that, I mean, it wasn't from the scripture, but in essence, it was the nudge, that loving nudge. Anything I nudge you to, I'm nudging myself to as well. Amen? So let's get into this. Here's a question. How do we cross over that line? I left last Sunday, and we can't cover everything in the one Sunday. We only have about half an hour in our services for this. So we couldn't get into the how. So it's like everyone loves the theory, but theory can very quickly go from inspirational to really frustrating if we haven't got the means of making that theory or idea real. So it's like, yes, Stuart, I love that as a picture, but how? How do I make that real? How do I make that theory a lived reality? And here's the simple answer. I have no idea. Let me unpack that in the sense that for you, I don't know how that's going to play out for you. Someone does know. For each of us, it's going to be different how we cross over that line. It will depend on your personality. It will depend on your gifting. 
It will depend on the phase of life you're in. For us just now, having little, little, almost as tall as me, Ellie now, but having young children, that shapes and forms my week. Now, I'm not rushing the kids out the house. I love them. But when they do go on to something else, my phase of life will shift and God will call me into different things as part of my journey. And then when the time comes for me to retire, and I am going to retire, I'm looking, anybody else looking forward to retirement? <laughs> Let's not go there. And I love, I love this. I do love this. But I'm looking forward to that new phase. Every next step of our life is a new phase that God is calling us into. We never retire in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. <laughs> not convinced. So it will look different for every single one of us, depending on these various things. But we're all called to cross over that line. Every single one of us are called to cross over that line. What did every single one of the disciples do when the angel nudged them? They all turned and they all went back into the fire, back into Jerusalem. Every single one of them. They did it in unison. They all chose to hear God's voice, receive the nudge and cross over. In essence, they were mobilized for action. And here's the phrase that, that I built this morning on that came to me at the start of the week and I've been rolling about. This idea of doing and being. Their doing determined their being. We've all heard, heard that phrase. We've all heard the phrase, you're not a human doing, you're a human being. And that's lovely, isn't it? And that said to somebody who maybe is too busy or you feel really busy and say, I'm not a human doing, I'm a human being. And you try and reorganize your life. And that's a good thing. But let's not discount the doing. If we're being honest, it's not just, again, back to the apple. It isn't just you are what you eat, but it's also you are what you do. What you do determines what you become. We're a product of what we do. You might look at your life and say, and this is, what, this is one of the main nudges and prompts I want us to look at, and for me as well. When I, what I do determines who I am. What am I doing? Genuinely, what am I doing every day? Because it determines what I am. Question, is everything in your doing helping you in your being? Am I losing you yet with all these <laughs> phrases? Is everything in your doing helping you in your being let's go back a question before that who are you called to be who are you called to be we've got an answer and i saw george amen we've got an answer that is relevant to all of us but we've also got nuance in that answer we're all called to be children of god we're all called to be purposed to be part of his kingdom active active flavors yvonne you're a different flavor than I am in the kingdom. I can't do what you do. And if I try and do what you do, I won't do it as well as you do it. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. We're all different flavors, but we all have a common dynamic, a common calling, and that is we're all children of God called to take the gospel forth in some way. Is your doing helping your being? Go back a question, what are you called to be? And therefore, what are you doing in order to be who you're called to be? I think that's one of the biggest questions that we can ask ourselves on our journey of faith. 
What am I, and I ask it of myself, what am I doing? And I don't ask it just because I'm in ministry. I ask it because I'm a child of God called to walk out his gospel. What am I doing that enables me to be who I'm called to be? We are at a crossroads as a church, um, which is massive. We're at a crossroads as a church here locally, as in Open Baptist Church. We're at a crossroads as a church nationally as the Baptist family and internationally as the Baptist family. I'm not going to speak on behalf of other church flavors because Wednesday, Thursday was talking about vision for the Baptist family. And we pray that every single church flavor would, would mobilize in their own way, true to the scripture, but in their own way for the sake of the kingdom. But for us, we're at a crossroads as a church. And what we do from this moment on will determine who we are and not just who we are, but who our neighbors are, who our work colleagues are, who our children are who our neighbor's children are. Again, think of the apple. If you share your faith with a neighbor in the coming year and they give their life to the Lord and they've got children, you've just helped change the, direct, the, the trajectory of that whole family. How incredible is that? Does that excite you? Let's get beyond the nervous dynamic of sharing our faith and how we do that, but does the outcome excite you? It excites me hugely. We're at a crossroads. So let's open the word together. Well, we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 10, just two verses, and then we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to get back into Solomon. We're going to use Solomon as a frame for this this morning. So 1 Kings, I think we've got the slides there, guys. I think it's just two simple images there. So it's verses 23 and 24 of chapter 10 of 1 Kings. It says, King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the world in riches and in wisdom. The whole world wanted an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. That's who he became. That was his being. His doing determined his being. His calling was to carry the wisdom of God and to use it for God's glory and God's kingdom. What he did with this calling on his life determined what he would become. And not just him, but everybody, again, we're using this. I'm really sorry if this analogy begins to get old, but I want to keep using it because I think it's a great one. What he did in his orchard, that is Israel. So his doing determined his being and it transformed the orchard that he was called to be, to walk in, to walk amongst. My, uh, going back to my guitar, my early years in my guitar, they were filled with enthusiasm. Anybody else been there with that, with a hobby? Your early years filled with enthusiasm and determination. You have this determination inside of you to be a success in something and to achieve. You have this drive that is not like anything else in your life for that one thing. I would wake up in the morning and I would walk up the, the long hill to school. Mum has now moved to a house beside where my school was. Thanks, Mum. You should have moved there years ago to save me that long walk. But that long walk gave me a chance to think about what I was passionate about. And one of those things was guitar. 
I would get up in the morning and dream about guitars. I would walk to school with guitar riffs and techniques in my mind. Transplant that into your own mind, whatever it is that you love to do. I spent my lunch hours rehearsing with the band in the music department. I spent all of my spare cash. Anybody else had a paper round? Who had a paper round? That is child torture. Seven days a week, every day of the year, the Sunday papers especially. I mean, unbelievable. All year, I came off my bike, I don't know how many times on the ice in the winter, and I got about 14 pounds a week. But of that 14 pounds, every spare bit of cash that wasn't spent on sweeties, which unfortunately was probably quite a lot, went on my next dream guitar. A passion for something will make you do that. But as the years have progressed and as I reached the end of my natural ability, I, I kind of hit a ceiling, as I said, and the things that came naturally and the passion be maybe began to subside, never go away, but settled and plateaued until I recognized that I was in that place and I was standing at the boundary of choice. Do I stay where I am and be content or do I pay the cost and grow? Can we have a look at the next slide, please, Alan? Thanks so much. Chapter 11. This is uh, Solomon. Solomon started off great. But let's look at what happened. Let's look at where his focus shifted. This is a warning for all of us, not just in the context of what I'm going to read, but in the very fact of how his focus shifted. King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter. Let's stop right there. Should he have even got involved with Pharaoh's daughter? No. But beyond that, he loved many foreign women, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites. Now, God, the good father, would have raised Solomon through David, and, and through others, to know this truth. You must not intermarry with them, and they must not intermarry with you, because they will turn your heart away to follow their gods. To these women, Solomon was deeply attached in love. He had several hundred wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines and they turned his heart away. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God and his father David, as his father David had been. David finished strong. David had his wobbles, as we've covered in the months gone by, but he finished strong. Solomon, however, followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. We touched on Ashtoreth and the, 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 the Asherah poles, we've touched on that in, in months gone by. And Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites, we've touched on those that the, there is lots of evidence that would suggest that they would, as part of their fertility rituals that were part of their worship with cult prostitution, they would then take the babies and burn them alive on the, the hands of Molech. They would light a fire under this giant statue and they would burn their own children. When you wonder why God told the people of Israel to go in and wipe out people, 
sometimes, as much as that isn't easy for us to understand, we have to remember who they were encountering. So this is Solomon. He gets involved in all of this. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Now, we don't know that Solomon was involved in that particular practice, so I'm not going to put that on Solomon, but he was involved in that kind of faith. He got involved in that kind of faith. And unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. Huge. It's the same. My, my guitar analogy is the same with faith. We touched on it last last week. It's the same with faith. Can anyone see a parallel as I talk about my guitar journey and a faith journey? Initial enthusiasm, initial enthusiasm. Jesus consumes our every waking moment. You get up in the morning, you're like, thank you, Jesus. Do you remember those moments? Maybe you're still there. Maybe you've come back. Praise God. That's where we need to be. So let's, Lord, bring us back to that space. If we're not there, but a beautiful thing. But then that can peak, and then we can settle, and we can plateau. We can get comfortable. Solomon's life, as we can see, is the most extreme possible example of this. He started strong. Second Chronicles 1 verse 8 that we touched on a few months ago was that fact of, Lord, I don't want, I'm not going to ask for riches. I'm not going to ask for the death of my enemies. I'm not going to ask for long life. What did he ask for? Wisdom and knowledge to lead the people according to God's ways. He started strong. He had his wisdom and his role within the nation, and he used it to great effect for many years. Again, the orchard analogy. Everyone in his orchard was impacted for the good because he was doing what he was called to do. He was being what he was called to do. He wasn't, uh, he was in step with God. But here's the thing, and it's so important for us to remember this. Solomon's life wasn't that of a puppet on a string. Sometimes we can look at this and say, yeah, but that was just because God was totally controlling him. And, uh, you know, so that's, you know, in his good moments, it was because God was totally controlling him. I would propose that he's not a puppet on a string, that every good decision he made and every positive thing he did was made through a choice of how he was responding to the Spirit, how he was yielding to the Spirit. And it's the same for all of us. We all have a choice in what we do with these moments. This is the nudge that we're giving today so that we can, at this crossroads, can flourish in the days ahead. And again, I speak it over myself as well. Solomon's yielding to God. That's what enabled God to work through him. God and Solomon in partnership, doing what, so that he would live out the reality of his supernatural being. He paid the cost, he crossed over the line in those early years and the blessing followed. We, we see that in the nation but he wasn't a puppet on a string. His choices mattered. And what we see is that with chapter 11, that he made some interesting choices, interesting in inverted commas. You might use other words beyond interesting. He made those choices. And as the years progressed, what did he do? He took his eyes off of God. He put his eyes onto the blessing or the consequence of being blessed in that he had the wisdom, he got the audience. 
He was called to use that for God's kingdom. But what happened? People flocked to him and he started to embrace that. He took his eyes off of what mattered. Perhaps fleetingly at the start, but maybe then increasingly. And he settled, he plateaued, and he grew comfortable, and then he grew cold. Everything in his doing, that his choices, priorities, gradually shifted. And from what we can see, he ends his life on a mission to please himself rather than please God. And that's huge, huge. Now, I think Solomon's story, who, who finds this comfortable? I don't find it comfortable. I don't find it a pleasant read. But I think it's recorded here for a reason for us. We could dance around this and just look at the good bit of Solomon's life. But I think we have to visit this just for a moment as we close. It's recorded so that we can peer in to that moment and we can see where he went well and where he went wrong and we can take it as a warning. I don't know where you are right now. I love this church. I love you all. I think there is incredible things happening in and through all of us in this moment. But I want to warn you as I'm warning myself that we all could find ourselves in a place where we get comfortable, where we settle, where we plateau, where we are not as fruitful as God longs for us to be. Me, absolutely, could find myself in that place. And then what? Well, it impacts everything around us. We're called to finish stronger than we started. That's the calling that's in all of us. When, when George, when you mouthed the words, I think it was, we're children of God. Was that right? Child of God. We're also all called to finish stronger than we started. And that's an incredible challenge, isn't it? And I look at my own journey and think, Lord, help me. Help me. Help me to finish stronger than I started. So here's the question. Is everything in your natural doing helping you in your supernatural being. What are you called to be? Let's close with Paul. Paul answered that when I said, how do we do this? How do we cross over? Here's the best answer I can give to answer the question that I posed at the start. How can we cross over? I'm not gonna ask you to put your hand up this morning if you feel that you want to cross over. If you feel that actually, you know, it might be that it's not that you've plateaued, but you think, I wanna cross over into more. Uh, I, that picture of, of seeing my neighbor and his household transformed, I love that. So if this, if this is you this morning, and I'm sure it's all of us in some way, what does Paul say to the church at Corinth in chapter one? He tells them this, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, I don't know if it was at, the start, was at the start of last year when I said the four foundations of Christian living. How is your relationship with God? Just you and God. Doesn't matter about right now, in that moment, about your spouse, about anybody else. How is your relationship with God? Secondly, who are you discipling and who are you being discipled by? The third one was, are we part of a small fellowship where we can grow and then I'll be part of the big church. But the second point, 
Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. <clears throat> Who are you imitating? Who was Solomon imitating in the last days of his life? He was imitating the world. And so when I ask of myself, and I feel the, the burn of this, who am I imitating? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Make sure there's somebody in your life that you can get alongside, somebody that inspires you in faith, that you can be discipled by. And then don't be so Scottish to think that you can't do that for someone else because you can and you are doing it. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, caveat, the biblical Christ, not the Christ of the world. And be inspired. Let's cross over together, amen? Let's pray together and close our time. Father, we thank you for the chance to get into your word. Father, I'm so conscious that if my life was in this book, I would be hugely encouraged and hugely embarrassed. And so we don't look at Solomon, we don't look down on Solomon in this moment because we know, I know for me, <clears throat> that if my life was laid bare, I would be uh, ashamed of dynamics of it, as well as feel that you've done great things through me. But Father, as we look at the word and as we receive the challenge that you place upon us from it, we say, God, help us by your spirit to cross over that line of a community of 8,000 people, less than 10% come to church. That number is decreasing every year. Father, help us to turn the tide on that reality so that people would come to know you Lives would be transformed now and forever. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.